The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So sometimes things happen. Things fall. Things break. And the person responsible often feels terrible, which is as it should be. <laughs> but let it go. There is nothing more to do. And we really use this lesson as a reminder for all of us that when we make a mistake, it's just a mistake. It says nothing about our moral character, okay? Maybe I should say, Instead of things happen, shit happens. It's true. We say that, right? We have to understand that and not feel mortified and not continue thinking, oh my God, if I had only, if I should have, blah, 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 blah. No, it's done. Okay? So please, no self-recrimination. It's very hard for us. We can say so, but it's very hard for us to let it go. So it's a wonderful teaching. The teacup, let it go, right? The tea, let it go, yes? We too, same thing, all right? Every day we are faced with some personal dilemma or personal event that may remind us of our complete inability to control the universe. How many of you have discovered this in recent times? And usually when we're reminded, we think that's bad. We think, oh, I'm bad. I was supposed to be able to control the universe. And now look. This happened. That happened. So-and-so got angry at me. So-and-so died. Right? Every day, someone is dying. Reiko just lost her uncle. No one could have predicted. All of a sudden, gone. So we come to Zen practice with a real sense of 
think in the best case, a sense of desperation. Meditation, as I said a few weeks ago, mindfulness, M, mindfulness-based, MB, stress reduction, SR, MBSR, and other forms of meditation, generic meditation, uh, so-called non-religious meditation. Very popular, big trend now in the New York Times this morning on the front page of the Metropolitan section. Big story. All these people, frantic lives, New York City, urban dilemmas of all sorts, doing meditation. Isn't that wonderful? It may be. But as I've said many times, Zen, Zen, Zazen is not a Band-Aid for a superficial cut. It is for the deep wound that each of us has carried perhaps from past lives. The deep wound that requires the most radical treatment. What was it that the Buddha realized that sent him on his quest? Yes, but even more basic, what did he notice when he left the castle gates? Things fall apart, people die, they get sick. Exactly, impermanence. There is no teacup that does not fall, all right? Not one of us will escape the maw of death. As it says in the Dhammapada, people forget that they will die soon. For those who understand, quarrels come to an end. To live in the recognition that you, too, will soon fall apart. All your precious liquids will be gone. Hmm? No matter how wondrous the tea. Gone. Please don't misunderstand and think that I am speaking in some kind of very dark and pessimistic, gloomy and morbid way. I'm just noticing this is what happens. The more we really understand this impermanence, 
the more we can truly be grateful for our lives, for our passing moment called this human life, this unique form that we have taken briefly. Ideally, of course, this tea bowl last a long time. I'm going to be 73 this year. How about you? When we feel the reality of our own mortality and that of others, something really opens up inside. And what I called radical, not band-aid, not superficial, but radical, open-heart surgery happens. True compassion happens. As you know, we may have great intentions, but when somebody is very annoying, it's hard to have compassion for that person. So it's not something theoretical. It's not something we decide to do. I'm sure in your work, Jillian, there are some people for whom you feel an immediate empathy as a nurse, and others whom you may feel, well, maybe not quite so much. And this is absolutely natural. But Namudaibo Sada, to be one with this vastness, this boundless bodhisattva heart. We chant it every day to really feel this emanating from within is the reason for our being and brings us to this kind of intensive practice called Zen. All kinds of meditation are important and have their good Side effects, no doubt about it. And we, many of us, may have come seeking some moment of peacefulness, some way of dealing with the stresses of our lives. No problem. It's a wonderful thing to do this. But when you are really shaken by something, when you really understand your own mortality, when you really see impermanence at work, and it's always working, then you may 
seek something more fundamental, then you may feel pulled toward figuring out why you're here. Figuring it out, not in an intellectual way, but from your guts. What is this? Why am I here? Why have I taken this human form? What am I here to do? And what, of course, as you know, Buddhism teaches, this so-called religious form of meditation that people are so eager to drop, it is, what does Buddha mean? What does it tell you to be doing Zen Buddhism? What is that based on? Hmm? Waking up. Waking up. All right. Buddha means awakened. So to do this practice means to commit ourselves to this radical open heart surgery. You already did that. And so you know. You can't divorce the body and the mind. When that happens to your body, your mind is fundamentally changed forever. Not everyone begins with practice, then goes through literal open-heart surgery and is able to return to practice in a new way. So it's a very fortunate thing. But I don't want anybody else to have to go through it, of course. (laughs) So Thich Nhat Hanh, I was reading this to our um, Deep Presence class the other evening. And he has this passage in his new book, Silence. Maybe I already read this to all of you, too. I don't remember from moment to moment. I have no idea where I've been, what I've read, what I've said. But maybe it's worth hearing again, even if I did. He, in this chapter called Your Deepest Concern, he says, When you've been able to still all the noise inside of you, when you've been able to establish silence, a thundering silence in you, you begin to hear the deepest kind of calling from within yourself. Your heart is calling out to you. This is what I'm talking about. Something inside wants to go much deeper than learning how to be calmer. Right? Yeah. Your heart is trying to tell you something, but you haven't yet been able to hear it because your mind has been full of noise. 
You've been pulled away all the time, day and night. You've been full of thoughts, especially negative thoughts. Then he speaks about how we're so preoccupied by daily concerns, how to get through the day, how to feel a little more comfortable, how to find this and find that, adjust this and adjust that, a new diet, a new spouse, a new car, right? We think. How to have enough money, food, shelter, and other material things. I don't want to make light of anybody's economic problems in this room, but look around in the world. My God. We have more refugees than we have people in homes right now. Is that true? I don't know. I made that up, but... The fact is, more and more, every day, people have no food, no shelter, no water, no medical treatment. So to put our own concerns into perspective is so important. We're looking, he says, for something to rely on worrying about our daily concerns. And that is understandable because we need to have our basic needs met to feel safe. But many of us worry far, far beyond having our needs met. And then he says, the deepest concern in you, as in many of us, is one you may not have perceived, one you may not have heard. Why? Why have you not heard it? He started out this section by saying, huh? Huh? Because we haven't been able to be silent enough to hear, right? So much noise going on in the mind. All of us know this from our sitting in silence, right? We're sitting in silence and it's like, going on in the mind, how rare it is to be able to sink into the moment that we're in without adding anything to it. How precious. So, he continues, every one of us has an ultimate concern that has nothing to do with material or affective concerns. What do we want to do with our life? That is the question. We are here, but why are we here? Who are we? It's a wonderful chapter, which you can read. The whole book is really good, but I'll just end with this last section. Life is full of wonders, including wondrous sounds. 
if you can be here, if you can be free, then you can be happy right here and right now, this lotus land of purity. Where is it? You don't have to run anymore, thinking, oh, they need me here, they need me there. Right here needs you. You stop, you breathe, and you still your mind. All the wonders of life are already here. They're calling you. If you can listen to them, you will be able to stop running. What you need, what we all need is silence. Stop the noise in your mind in order for the wondrous sounds of life to be heard. Then you can begin to live your life authentically and deeply. I think it's probably true for many people that they feel happiness is something that is achieved once their concerns for material and effective comfort are taken care of, right? First I'll do this, then I'll get that. But as he says, and as we see more and more deeply, it's all here, right here, right now. If we can stop, running. Stop warding off what we think is dangerous and threatening. Invite the moment, right this now moment, to unfold and be one with it as it does so. We're allowed to be present. Isn't that wonderful? There is no one who is forcing us to be stuck in the last moment or filled with anxiety about the next moment. Do you know someone who is saying you must be back there or ahead? What happens if you just sit Moment after moment after moment. This is the wonderful thing about teaching meditation. No matter what it's called, no matter what school. So that people can begin to understand how precious this moment is. And then may have some deep concern. Deep wish to be transformed from self-absorption to open-heartedness, to being aware we are so one. All of us are one, each with our own form 
about to perish, and yet, at the same time, in this oneness, there is no time. There is no coming into existence or falling and shattering. Simultaneously, this truth is experienced when we wake up. In extreme situations, perhaps, as I've been saying, this is realized. And Soen Roshi was the great extremist. So I will read a little bit more from Endless Vow from a period of time that we might think was terribly challenging to any realization of inner joy. So listen to this from 1943 to haiku under the title During the War in the Pacific. News of a victorious battle. I just shuffle along in the mud at this spring temple. News of a disastrous battle. I just shuffle along in the mud at this spring temple. Imagine feeling this way. Fantastic, great, wonderful. Oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. Isn't our life full of all this kind of thing? Always pulled this way and that? What if we're not pulled? What if we're just this moment shuffling along in the mud? The lotus flower that we are growing in this mud, blooming in this mud, not being pulled to either. And then his poems of World War II continuing. This is from 1944. He says, looking up and seeing a large formation of B-29s for the first time. Do you know what he was seeing? American Hmm? American Plains, yes. And so his poem is called Air Raid. Earth, water, fire, and air, bombing these four elements, form, feeling, thought, volition, and consciousness, annihilating these five skandhas, Heart Sutra. Sitting here, I hear a roar in winter's blue sky. Five, six planes go overhead, then five, six, one. Sparkling stars in the daytime. 
darting like eyes. Those who fly the plains are light-haired strangers. The flashes, the blasts, the explosions come closer. Ah, an air raid on myself. And then March 10th, 1945, in commemoration of the multitudes killed in the massive air raid over Tokyo, his haiku. Early spring spirits spark up into emptiness. And one more. This is from winter 1945 called Rebirth. It's the end of that year. Having survived the fire, leafless trees shiver under the dawn sky. A couple with a child pass through burdened by unbearable anxiety about the day. Monks with begging bowls appear. Five monks, six. Another group of five, seven, one. Flapping ink black sleeves, stepping silently in straw sandals, Absorbed in thought, gazing far beyond. Those who give are empty. Those who receive are empty. Offerings themselves are empty. Step by step they practice these three empty circles. Chanting, Ho Dharma, Ho Ho. Thus, the voice of Dharma fills the devastated city from one end to the other. All insects under the ground are awakened, all seeds nod to each other. And the capital, which disappeared like a dream, will again be born like a dream. So set forth the Prajna Paramita Mantra. Set forth this mantra and say, Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasamgate Bodhi Svata Prajna Paramita Sutra. Mandala Day.
of true interconnectedness. Son Shaku. Genpo Yamamoto Roshi. Soen Nakagawa Roshi. Yogen Senzaki. And your own Maureen Stewart. They are here with us today and every day. They are guiding us as we just shuffle along in the mud, realizing for ourselves this prajna paramita, perfection of wisdom. 